How are you guys? Good, good. We'll see if we can keep that going. Uh, We're going to start today with a parable. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." So Jesus here is speaking to people, I love this, who are confident of their own righteousness and who look down on others. And in this parable, those people are embodied by the Pharisee who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And what I wanna wonder out loud today as we begin is this, how many of us have any part of us that hears this parable and thinks, God, I thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. Because if we do, are we really any different than him? Today, the scripture that we're going to look at is Jesus having a conversation with Pharisees and experts in the law. And as we do, I want you to hear Jesus talking to you. Why? Well, think of yourself and be realistic. Who are you more like in this parable? Because if any part of you thought or something like, God, I thank you that I'm not like the Pharisee, you may be more like him than it is comfortable to admit. And I don't know if you would consider me good company, but if you're often more like the Pharisee than the tax collector, then you and I are in the same place. My concern today is this. We read over passages like this parable and the one that I'm about to read, confident of our own righteousness in comparison to who Jesus is talking to. And as such, we often miss what Jesus is teaching. We miss the instruction and the direction of Jesus just like the Pharisees did, completely confident that he must be talking to someone else. He's not. The parable that I open with is one of my favorites because it reminds me of that. It reminds me that no matter how much of something that I think I am, until I'm willing to stand before God completely helpless in my sin, I will never understand the depths of his mercy, the wonder of his grace, or the work of Jesus. Until I'm willing to stand helpless before God, I will never be able to fully receive the justification and the new life that God wants to give me. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm really grateful that worship was very upbeat and encouraging today because the sermon is not. Uh, The section of scripture that we're gonna study is called the woes, okay? Uh, And it's not even the blessings and woes. That comes earlier in Luke. We're just woes today, okay? So I'm really grateful that worship was so encouraging uh, because I want this sermon to be hard for us. I want this sermon to be hard for us because I want us to be challenged and I want us to be convicted. I want us to put ourselves in the place of the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to because he is talking to us. And anything that we can learn is an opportunity to draw closer to him. So open yourself to his word. 
Allow it to cut you deeply as the Bible says it can. The challenge today is to actually hear what Jesus is saying so that we can repent and go home justified like the tax collector. We continue today in our series titled with Meals with Jesus. Uh, and this is one meal the Pharisees maybe wish they could get back, but they can't. It's in Luke 11. So go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 11 today. While you turn to Luke 11, I'm going to just read the first verse because it sets the scene. And we're going to start in Luke 11, verse 37. It says this, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Two things to note about our setting. The first one is that there are no sinners here. There is Jesus who wasn't one, and then there was everybody else who in this case didn't think they were. So the people present are Jesus, Pharisees, and experts in the law. This means Jesus is eating with people who have it figured out and who are in good standing with God, or so they thought. The second thing to note about our scene is Jesus is eating with them. This is one of the very few times during Jesus' ministry in which he is surrounded entirely by religious people. Normally, according to these same religious people, Jesus is slumming it. He's, you know, he's with the tax collectors and he's with the prostitutes and the sinners, you know, those, those poor desperate people who need help. Uh, but here he's with people who were so used to God in their lives they thought they had him figured out. And not only that, they also thought they could get your life figured out with him too, and they would tell you how. So generous. But I find this scene with Jesus and all of these religious people very encouraging. See, I grew up in church. Uh, I was baptized when I was seven with all of the understanding that I could have had at that time. I more fully committed and aligned my life with Jesus when I was 14. I grew up a youth group kid in high school and middle school. I became a church leader when I turned 18, an interim pastor at 20, and a lead pastor at 21. And I share this with you not for any accolades, but to point out to you that for most of my life, I thought that I had God figured out. And I was doing it right while others were doing it wrong. And it's really only been the last eight years of my life that I figured out just how wrong I could be, just how much I don't know. And so when I see this scene, uh, I just can't express to you how grateful I am that Jesus will eat with people like me. Jesus had, I, mean, I, th I think about this and it, it makes me marvel. Jesus had three years to accomplish all he was gonna do. And this dinner party was still worth his time. Would you please hear me say this and hear me say this for you? Jesus loves Pharisees too. If you, when I read that parable, thought that maybe you were more Pharisaical than you'd like to be, Jesus loves Pharisees too. He wants them to know God. He, he wants them to know and see all that God has for them. And so when I read the scripture that I'm gonna to read today, um, I mean, Jesus is about to rebuke some people. Let's be honest. He's about to just tear into them and hopefully a lot of us, but he's about to rebuke some people. I want you to hear it and know that it is with love. Okay, I, I've struggled as I was preparing for this. What tone am I gonna read when Jesus speaks? Because I don't think he's angry. I, I think he's like a, a parent who, who sees all the good that these kids of his could have, and they're just missing it. 
So I think he's frustrated. I think he's uh, upset, but I think there's a deep undertone and undercurrent of love. So as I read these rebukes of Jesus, I want you to hear them as love because that's what it is. And going forward, what we're gonna do today Uh, There's a number of rebukes in here. Uh, We're gonna do one by one and we'll talk through this a few verses at a time. Uh, And with that, uh, here we go. Verse 38, a little something to set this up for Jesus. Uh, Verse 38, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash, did not first wash before the meal. Now, the first thing to note here is that this is ceremonial washing, not hygienic washing. The Pharisee isn't like, whoa, Jesus, don't be gross, wash your hands. That's not what's happening here. No, the Pharisees had a tradition that you should ceremonially clean your hands before a meal. And they were so serious about this. They said, if you did not do that, the food you were eating was no better than excrement and the sin you were committing, because they did make their human tradition into a sin, the sin you were committing was as grievous as fornication. And of course, there were rules about how to do this. You had to get at least one and a half eggshells full of water. That's not a joke. Uh, and then you had to pour it from the tips of your fingers to, uh, the, to your wrist. And then you did that on the other hand. And then you poured from your wrist to the tips of your fingers on both hands. And then you were ready to eat. And if you didn't do this, remember, this was considered a sin. Well, Jesus wasn't having that. Um, and we get to verses 39 through 40, and this is where this dinner party really went sideways for the Pharisees. Here it goes. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Friends, Instagram Christianity is a real thing. A lot of Christians look great, but veneers often do. And there's there's something in our sin, there's something in ourselves, our society that values the veneer, that values the perfect image of Christianity, that that clean cup exterior. You, You go to church and you look good. Your kids look good, your car looks good, you amen good, you probably volunteered somewhere good, you smiled good, you said you were doing good, you put a good amount of money in the bag, you sang okay, and the perfect image of Christianity. Great job. You look right, you've done the things, you got the things, the boxes are checked, great job, you look right. But is your heart right? Do you actually care about the things of God? Or have you foolishly cleaned the outside while neglecting the inside? Have you cleaned what is visible to us while ignoring what's visible to God? Friends, let me remind you this morning that when all is said and done, none of us are going to be standing in judgment before any of us. It is truly foolish to be more concerned about what the people here think than what God thinks. And so so what to do? Verse 41, but now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. See, the the easy response to this verse is like, I'm gonna go be nice to poor people. Let's do this. I got this. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Here Jesus says to the Pharisees to be generous to the poor, but let's, let's dig a little deeper. 
Wealth in this time was considered a blessing from God. Later in Luke, we're, we're told that Pharisees were lovers of money. Guess who the Pharisees would have probably looked down on? The unblessed poor. Jesus tells them, if you wanna be clean, be generous to the people that you least want to be around. That's what Jesus is saying. That will clean your greed and wickedness. The question for us is, who is that for us? When I, when I was preparing this part of the sermon, my, the group that hit me, like, hit, me, hit me like a lightning bolt, I don't like those people. What group do you look at in the world and see as less than? Who are you afraid will soil your veneer? That's who you should be generous to. And then everything will be clean for you. Jesus continues, verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a 10th of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Here, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for majoring in the minors. He uses the example of their tithing, even all of their garden plants. I mean, they got, they got 10% of the mint cut off and then they went over to the mustard and they made sure they counted out their little tiny mustard seeds and they got 10 of that. And then they got all their lavender sprigs and whatnot. And all the while they're doing this while neglecting justice and God's love. One of my favorite uh, commentators, David Guzik, he says this. He says, their tithing was meticulous and noteworthy but hypocritical because it served to soothe the guilt of their neglect of the justice and love of God. Don't miss this next line. I'm going to read it twice. It is both possible and common to be distracted with relatively trivial matters while a lost world perishes. It is both possible and common to be distracted with relatively trivial matters while a lost world perishes. Note that Jesus does not rebuke their tithing. He's not telling them that that tenth of your mint and dill and all that other stuff, that's not wrong. He rebukes them because their legalism, their rule following concerning the activities of worshiping God was keeping them from the love and the justice that should naturally pour out of a heart that is worshiping God. Is your focus on doing the activities, the things of Christianity, keeping you from living out the heart of God for his world and his people? Are you doing the things at the expense of reaching out to the people that God loves so much? If so, you need to practice the latter while still doing the former. Jesus continues, verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Who is the practice of your faith for? Who do you want to matter in front of? See, the Pharisees want to be seen and they want to be noticed. They're, they're driven by a desire for recognition. Are you? Would you be okay serving God in this church or this community day after day, year after year, just serving God in this church or this community, simply knowing that God sees your service even if literally no one else does? Woe to you if your service to God is driven by a need to be recognized by humans. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Again, let me remind you that when all is said and done, none of us stand in judgment before any of us. Is God seeing your service enough for you? Jesus continues. Verse 44. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. The Bible teaches that touching a grave made a person ceremonially unclean for seven days. And what that means is that they could not participate in the worship of God in the temple. Now, the Pharisees thought that with all that they were doing and teaching and whatever it was in the community, that they were bringing God's people closer to him. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're doing the opposite. Jesus says that their influence and their guidance with all of its rules and its elevation of themselves and its looking down on other people is actually turning people away from God. Literally, he says that they are spreading the uncleanness of death among God's people in a way that hinders their worship of God. And this leads us to ask the question of ourselves, what is our influence? Does your life demonstrate the love of God? Does your faith point at you or at him? See, I see a lot of Christians on Twitter and on the news and people that I just know sharing a lot of thoughts and opinions about the state of our world and the state of politics and what Christians and non-Christians alike should be doing and thinking. And very few of these people sound anything like anything I know of Jesus. Are your words and your conduct such that people are drawn to God or galvanized against him? Are your words and your conduct publicly and privately such that people are drawn to faith or do they prove the stereotypes? Do they prove people's misled thoughts about Christians who aren't demonstrating what Jesus looks like and how Jesus loves people? No one has ever been judged or torn down into heaven. People are brought to heaven by grace. Are they getting that from you? See, now here in this meal, Jesus may have stopped, but there's always that one guy in the back. And so Jesus continues in verses 45 and 46, and we'll start with the one guy. Here he goes. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Now, without missing a beat, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Experts in the law, were intended to interpret the law for the people of God so they could accomplish it. But here's an example of how that actually went. The experts of the law applied the same laws of sanitation from when the Israelites lived in tents to when they lived in the city of Jerusalem, which was much larger. Well, here's the problem with that. When you combine those laws of sanitation with the laws limiting how far you could travel on the Sabbath day, for many people, it meant that they couldn't follow the law that the experts taught and also go to the bathroom on the Sabbath day. No potty on Sunday. I'm not kidding. This is one of the things they did with the law. And so Jesus says, woe to you for making God's word a burden. 
Woe to you that have all of this knowledge of scripture and you hurt people with it. You bury people under it. You don't help anyone with it. Listen, if you are here and you have ever been hurt with scripture, and, and, and please understand, I'm not talking about rebuked. I'm talking about hurt and there is a difference. If you've ever been hurt with scripture, then what I want you to know is that you did not meet God there. You met an expert in the law and that was not of God. And for what it's worth, I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry that happened and I'm glad you are here to find grace anew with Jesus. For all of us though, what we have to ask ourselves when we read this scripture is this, what good is your knowledge of scripture doing for other people? That's what Jesus is talking about here. The knowledge of the experts at best was useless and at worst was hurting people. If your knowledge of scripture is helping no one, perhaps not even yourself because you're not doing it, then you need to repent. There is room there to find grace anew in repentance. If your knowledge of scripture is not helping others see Jesus, see God more clearly, then it's time for you to make a course change. Jesus continues, verses 47 through 51. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, at this time, the idea was to build tombs for the prophets in order to honor them. The, the people at the time thought, well, their ancestors killed the prophets, but of course, you know, they wouldn't have. They would have listened to what the prophets had to say. So now they're going to honor the prophets in death with these fancy tombs to show how they would have treated them differently in life than their ancestors did. And Jesus, as God's prophet, literally present in the room, points out that they are actually no different from their ancestors. And as a result, they're gonna be held responsible for the death of all the prophets from Abel, who is in the first book of the Hebrew Bible, to Zechariah, who is in the last book of the Hebrew Bible. All of these prophets in all of the books of scripture that they supposedly teach they're gonna be held responsible for the blood of them all. Why? Because they ignored the words of God when presented clearly to them and the people of God suffered as a result. They were no different about ignoring God than their ancestors. The question is, are we? Jesus continues and he concludes with verse 52. He says this, "'Woe to you experts in the law "'because you have taken away the key to knowledge.'" You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. What is the key to knowledge? Well, it's God's word. And that's what the experts were supposed to teach, but they didn't. And Jesus tells them, not only are you not entering, not only are you not following God's word, you're hindering people who are actually trying by laying so many burdens on them. Friends, with your knowledge of God, where is he asking you to enter that you are not? What is he asking you to do 
that you are not? Who is he asking you to help into the kingdom that you are not? And finally, and perhaps most soberingly, who in your life with your daily conduct are you actually hindering from entering the kingdom of God? And it's with those final words that Jesus leaves. And we conclude our section of scripture today with their verses 53 and 54, which say, some, which say this. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Worship team, come on up. Uh, admittedly, what Jesus had to say was, was hard. And I can see why they were upset. But ultimately, this response just makes me sad. Their need to be right or to justify themselves or to maintain position or to catch Jesus being wrong or whatever it was overwhelmed their ability to learn from what Jesus had to say. I read these last two verses after what Jesus just said and it just leaves me sad. It makes me wonder how many times just like them, because I am, how many times just like them have I read over these words or heard a sermon about these words and instead of repenting, I argued. Instead of repenting, I tried to justify myself. How many times has Jesus offered me these truths and I just hardened myself against them? Friends, there's so much in this scripture, so many places of growth that Jesus points out for us, let's not harden ourselves to them. Let's not oppose Jesus who loves us, but humble ourselves. See, as I prepared this sermon, the challenge that I felt from this scripture, my challenge was to not just do the things of faith, like making sure I give my 10% and I, and I check off this box of scripture reading, but to actually love and serve God's people. I'm really good at doing all the things but I'm not great at serving and loving people. Where are you feeling challenged today? What, what stood out to you in God's word today? What do you need to repent of right now? What do you need to commit to God that you're going to do or do differently? I'm, I'm about to leave us in prayer. And when I'm done, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna stop and I'm gonna leave space within the prayer for you to talk to God. And they're gonna be praying or playing music in, in the background. And I just want you where you're at in your seat to just silently talk to God. You repent, you let him lead you to be different. How, how is he ministering to you today? Let him speak into that. Open your heart to what he has to say. If he's pointed at sin in your life, it's time to repent. There is grace at the cross and he wants you to have it. And so I'm gonna pray for us and the next voice you hear will be Andrew's inviting you to sing, which is the proper thing to do. Worship after experiencing grace, that's what we do. That's what we do. And by his grace at the end of all this, we'll all walk away a little bit less like Pharisees and a little bit more like justified tax collectors. Let's pray together. Eternal God, I'm, I just ministered to us Lord, speak to our hearts. You've got words for each of us today. I know you do. So Lord, speak to us. Guide us to repent where we need to repent. Holy Spirit, speak when we run out of words. Show us what we need to be doing. Show us where you need us to be. Where do we need to enter that we're not? Who do we need to reach out to that we're not? 
Where are we being distracted by the things of faith rather than the love and the justice that you want us to show? God, give us wisdom, guide us, teach us how to be better followers of you, a little bit less like Pharisees and a little bit more like justified tax collectors, God.